If you'll uh, grab your Bibles, I want to read you my text. Uh, it's found in the book of Job. If you, um, if you don't know where that is, find the book of Psalms and go left. It's uh, the book in front of the book of Psalms. So you follow as, uh, as I read our text, beginning at Job chapter 1, verse 1, which says this. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, that endures forever. Guys, there's, there's nothing new about a new series here at, at Grace of Anne. That's the way we've done things for the, for the 21 years of our existence. Um, I will um, preach a series, finish that series, and then move to the next series. Uh, that, that's just the way we operate around here. Uh, um, some series are, are longer than others, and, and some series are better than others. And I, I'll, I'll let you figure out which ones are are better than others, but uh, th- that's just the that's just the standard fare here at Grace Event. And so this morning, I- I'm introducing a, a new series. Um, and um, of all the series that I've ever done here at Grace Event, I- I've never felt um, such a need to rightly frame the series before I ever dive into the text itself. Um, it seems important to me that I, that, I, that I communicate certain things by way of introduction that I think will help us uh, enjoy and appreciate the, the truths that are contained in this book. So I want to spend my entire sermon this morning doing nothing more than introducing a, a new series on the book of Job a book that I've really never really tackled before. I, I've waved at it a couple of times, but um, I, I've never really tackled it in the way that we're going to in the next few weeks or uh, maybe a couple of months. And, and, and I know that you have certain preconceived notions about the content in the book of Job, and, and as a result of that, I, I think it's really important that we, uh, at the get-go, frame our discussion. So I've got four quick things, well, not so quick, but four things that I want to talk to you about and by way of introduction. And the first one is really nothing more than a housekeeping matter, and then we'll get to the, really the, the meat of what I, I want to say. But guys, uh, number one, in, in the course of my preparation for this series, <clears throat> I have been helped by a lot of people, uh, a lot of insights, a lot of ideas, a lot of explanations that have come from a lot of people around the Christian church. Joe Bailey. Maybe you know that name. He wrote a book um, called um, A View from the Hearse. He has every right in the world to speak about the book of Job, but he and his wife have buried not one, not two, but three children, and not at all at the same time. Um, They lost a child uh, when she was 18 days old. They buried another child when the child was five years old who died of leukemia. Uh, They buried yet another child, a son, when he was 18 years old, who was killed in a sledding accident. So he writes a book entitled, A View from the Hearse. 
and it has um, much to do with the book of Job. He's helped me a lot. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, you know that name. Um, I, I hope he didn't hear me say this. Um, I know Chuck very, very little, uh, but he interviewed me one night uh, out in California. But that's about all I know. That's about the only personal contact I've had with Chuck. But he's been a mentor for years. He's got to be 85 now, still pastoring in Dallas. Uh, many of his books, some of you have read. Chuck Swindoll has, has been a great help. Uh, Tim Keller. Um, Elizabeth Elliot. Do you know the name Elizabeth Elliot? Elizabeth Elliot um, uh, was the husband of Jim Elliot, you know, uh, the one that was murdered by the Auka Indians. It's been, they made a movie out of it. Um, uh, he wrote a book entitled The Shadow of the Almighty. But y- I think you probably know that part of the story, but I'm not sure you know this part of the story, that she lost another husband uh, to cancer. Um, and all of that lost two husbands before the age of 45. A woman who is um, somebody I love to listen to. But I, I guess the, 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 um, the person that has helped me the most is a guy that I, I don't know that you know. His name is Mike Mason in his book on, the, on, on Job. I, I think it was Mike Mason who first began to redirect my attention away from the subject of suffering and, and, onto, the go- and onto the subject of the gospel that is found in the book of Job. You know, all of these people that I've read and, and consulted, um, none of them, none of them would make a, 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 the claim that they understood the, the book of Job entirely, and neither would I. And so I'm not going to preach it, you know, kind of verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, even chapter by chapter. Um, guys, there's 42 chapters in this book, and if I were to do chapter by chapter, we'd be here for a long time. But I, what I'm going to do, my exposition, what I'm, what I'm going to try to do is just to preach the parts that I, that I understand. Or at least I think I understand. So that's the way we're going to deal with the book. It might be out of order, it might be out of sequence as we, as we wrestle with it. But um, that, that's hopefully uh, helpful as we begin. But secondly, guys, the book of Job is found in a section of the Old Testament known as wisdom literature. The Old Testament is not arranged chronologically. Maybe you knew that. But if the Bible were arranged chronologically, the first book that would appear would be the book of Job. Because the the, the book that has the oldest date attached to it is the book of Job. But the, the Old Testament is not arranged chronologically. It is arranged thematically. For instance, the first five books of the Bible is what's known as the law, the Torah. After the the, the first five books of the Bible, you get a section known as the historical books. Books like Joshua, Judges, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. Those are all historical books. And then in the, the, the second half of the Old Testament, you get a section known as the major prophets. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, those are all major prophets. And then after that, you get another section known as the minor prophets. Those, those are the books um, by the names of guys that we can't pronounce, you know, um, Obadiah and, and Habakkuk and uh, Zephaniah. You know, we, don't, we can barely pronounce their names and, and we don't know what's in their books. Uh, well, we do know one. The book of Jonah is found in, uh, in, in a section known as the minor prophets. But in between the historical books and the major prophets is a section 
known as wisdom literature. It is comprised of the books of um, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, a Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. That's, that's a section of the Bible known as wisdom literature. Now, gang, as you might guess, wisdom literature is called wisdom literature because it contains, it's known for, wisdom. Now, folks, if, if you've ever sought wisdom, if you've ever felt like, oh my, I, 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 I need so much wisdom for my life, you know? If you've ever sought wisdom, you know that wisdom is not easily gotten, is it? Wisdom has a price tag. Wisdom is usually gained after some work, but more frequently, during a period of pain. You know, we, we don't seem to learn much during periods of prosperity, do we? Prosperity seems to, it, it just kind of um, dulls those spiritual sensibilities. It's pain, it's suffering that usually awakens us and quickens us. I don't like that truth, but it's true nonetheless. Wisdom comes normally on the heels of pain. Wisdom is not simple, ladies and gentlemen. An error is simple. Heresy is simple. But wisdom, truth is complex. You want a good example? Take the doctrine of the Trinity. Every major world religion that you know of has a monotheistic view of God, that God is this one person and yada, yada, yada. It's only Christianity who has a view of God that's Trinitarian. Because truth, because wisdom is complex. Error is simple. Error is easy to get to. Heresy is easy to grab. But not wisdom. You know, one of the, one of the messages of the book of Proverbs, the whole book, And I I know you love Proverbs, but one of the messages of that book is that fools make bad and often quick decisions. That's one of the things that, that, that wisdom literature wants you to know. That we get ourselves in trouble by foolish decisions that are so unwise because we leapt at them. Wisdom is the kind of stuff that helps us understand ourselves. And that's not fun, every now and then, you know, to find out, oh my goodness, I didn't know what was in there. Wisdom is the kind of stuff that helps us know the times and the seasons. That is, helps us know timing. The the kinds of things that we need to change and win. Consequently, ladies and gentlemen, anything that comes quick and easy is usually wrong. One of my favorite quotes that I'll use several times in this series on the book of Job is an H.L. Mencken quote, and, and Mencken says this, There's always an easy solution to every human problem. Neat, 
plausible and wrong. Gang, wisdom is something to which we must give attention. You got to work at this. One of my hero, one of my mentors is a guy by the name of R.C. Sproul. I've told you that before. I think it's 60% of what I know I learned from R.C. But R.C. was awfully fond of saying that one of the greatest issues that faces the Christian church is what he called sensuality. And by that, he was not drawing our attention to sexual sin. What he was saying is that one of the biggest problems that exists among Christians is that we like to get our spiritual food as simply as possible. We like to get it via experiences, and we like to get it via emotions and feelings. Don't ask me to do the hard work necessary to mine wisdom. Well, that's exactly what I'm asking you to do. The Bible loves to call to its readers and say, gird up the loins of your mind. And that's what I'm calling you to, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, If that's going to be uncomfortable, then this is going to be a long series for you. Guys, it's going to require a bit of work on your part. And, And maybe that's not even the right word. Maybe work is not the right word. Maybe concentration is. I don't, I don't know. But I'm telling you, it ought to exhaust you. Not simply to preach it, but to listen to it. Because we are going to be confronted with insights and ideas that are game changers. They're paradigm shifters. They're model busters. And normally, ladies and gentlemen, when we're, when we're confronted with a paradigm shift, that insight, that information, it can be, can be upsetting, it can be downright off-putting. But that's what's in here. That's what awaits you. And I guess to say it with colloquially is simply buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it might be fun to hear about Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho. And it is. It's a wonderful story and has great principles. But that's, that's out of the historical section. And we love history, don't we? This is out of the wisdom section. And wisdom is something that we want, but I'm not sure that we're often willing to pay the price to get it. And so I'm asking you, I'm telling you, that if this is going to profit you any, buckle up. Third, guys, there are very few literate people on the face of the planet who have not heard of Job. I would venture a guess. I would suggest to you that there are more people on the face of this planet who have never heard of Jesus than have never heard of Job. And the reason for that is because Job's name has become synonymous with suffering. And since suffering is the most inevitable of all human experiences, people know his name. 
Did you hear what I just said? I said that suffering is the most inevitable of all human experiences. I guess what you'd have to say or what you'd have to call that is lesson number one in studying the book of Job. And I'm telling you, that takes some getting used to. It it, it might mean that you have to swallow hard to come to grips with suffering is the most inevitable of all human experiences. Guys, one one of the refreshing things about the Bible, one of the reasons I love it so, is that it tells us the truth. All of it. It it doesn't try to tiptoe around all the, the unpleasantries. It confronts us with that which is the truth. And you're going you're to get into the book of Job, and pretty early on, you're going to find out that Job says in chapter 5, he says, man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. Just as normal as it is to see sparks fly upward is as normal for a man to experience trial and hardship and suffering. James says it in his book in the New Testament. Count it all joy when you endure, yada, yada, yada. But the, the, the line that I like the best is, is from the Apostle Peter. He says in his first epistle, chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. <laughs> hey, don't be surprised by this. I mean, like, oh, why is this happening to me? You ever ask that? I mean, oh, I didn't know that this was in there. Peter says, I mean, no, like like, like this was strange. It's not strange. I mean, man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. Guys, it's only we Americans, we Westerners, who struggle with this this fact of life the most. We're not not accustomed. We don't know how to to deal with disappointment and and defeat. And and, and I I guess that makes sense, given given our prosperity, given our media, and given our drugs. We entertain this, this naive notion that we're going to be the exception. Guys, the rest of the world, they, they know that, that suffering is inevitable. And consequently, Job's name has become the synonym for, for life's most dreaded piece of inevitability. You know, people, they, they talk about the patience of Job. And yet, though his name is known, I got to tell you, that's not what his book is about. They they, they speak of Job's suffering, and and I'm I'm telling you, you missed the point of the book. And, And I really think it was Mike Mason that helped me see it first. Guys, 
that all brings me to, to something that, I, that, I, that you've got to hear. As we begin, as before we begin this study on the book of Job. Listen, I am not saying that the book of Job does not discuss suffering. It does, and it does quite a bit. But I am saying this, that suffering is not the central ultimate message of the book of Job. And if you brought that notion in here, it's going to have to change before we get started. Guys, that's not the central message of the book. This series on the book of Job is going is to stretch out over 16 or 17 sermons. And, and let me assure you that I would never preach to you 16 straight times on suffering. I simply wouldn't do that to you. But I am thrilled to preach to you 16 or 17 times or 1,600 or 1,700 times on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I believe and I hope to teach you that this book is not so much about how to handle suffering. It's, it's not so much about how to handle suffering as it is about how Jesus Christ redeems all of life including suffering. That's what this is about. It's about how this great Savior of ours redeems all of my experience, all of my life, including the portions that I don't even want to happen to me. Let me put it another way. Throughout the course of this series, ladies and gentlemen, I am going to focus relentlessly on the cross of Jesus Christ in order that we might make some sense out of Job's predicament. And listen, you've got to do the same things with your predicament. You've got to focus. And that's what I hope we walk away. We've got to focus on the cross of Jesus Christ if we are ever to make any sense out of, out of life's most inevitable experience. Guys, there are, there are no tricks. There are no gimmicks. There are no escape hatches. There's only Christ. Will my faith in Him sustain me when everything around me falls apart? Will it? That's what we've got to learn. Can I believe that God is good when my life is not? Will you believe that with me or not? Because, ladies and gentlemen, when I'm finished with this series, my hope is that not that you will know more about suffering, but that you will know more about Christ. Because the ultimate message of this book is not suffering, that's the penultimate message. The ultimate message of this book 
is about how Christ redeems all of my life, including that part I don't like. And I, and I say this further to you, ladies and gentlemen. If the only method that you have to deal with your predicament is keep a stiff upper lip, then, then, then your religion doesn't offer you much. Christianity offers Christ. A Christ who redeems all of my life. Including the part known as in suffering. I got one more thing to say and then I'm done. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, what I just said to you is the grid. And so when you come back, if you come back, bring that with you. Because that's going to help us make some sense out of all this. But if I just looked at you and said, well, every cloud has a silver lining. Well, some clouds, ladies and gentlemen, are blue all the way through. And all of that other foolishness and all of that other gadgetry and all of that other sloganism, it ain't going to help you one whit. But focusing relentlessly on the gospel of Jesus Christ will help. And that's what we're going to do. Now, one other thing. It's kind of connected to that, but you, you, you may or may not know this, but the, the most frequently used objection to the Christian faith, the most frequently given objection on the part of unbelievers for explaining their unbelief. That is, I'll tell you why I'm, a, I'm an unbeliever. I want you to answer this for me. How can you believe in a God when there's so much suffering in the world? That's what they say. I mean, that's not the only thing they say. I mean, that's just, that's just the most frequently, that's the one most frequently used. How can you believe in God when there's so much suffering in the world? You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, last week, after the second service, I was kind of shuffling on my aching feet uh, back over to my office, and uh, right before I got to my office, I was hailed. I was stopped by a young man, um, um, a teenage guy who is a delightful believer. And um, he said to me, uh, Dr. Young, um, could we get together? I'd like to talk to you about something. I said, well, I'd be glad to. I mean, you just figure out a time in your schedule. I'd love to. He said, well, here's what I want to talk to you about. He said, I've got so many people in my so many friends. I think he said friends, but so many people in my life, so many friends who say, how can you believe in God when there's so much suffering in the world? And I thought, oh my goodness, maybe the Lord did lead me to this series. Because he was asking me the very question that I was about to get up here in the pulpit and tell you about. Because guys, here's another one of my goals with this series. I want to address that issue, that whole issue of the existence of suffering. I, I hope to address it so satisfyingly that if God wills, some of you might embrace the Savior for the first time. Because if we can eliminate 
your offense over the existence of suffering. And I got to tell you, my friend, it's only a smokescreen. But if we can eliminate that, who knows? You just might meet this Savior of ours through the book of Job. I don't know whether you've, um, you've read this book. Um, uh, this, I think this is what Dostoevsky would call his greatest work. I'm not sure, but the Brothers Karamazov. I read it about three or four years, two or three years ago. And it was quite good. It's quite worth the read, but as you can tell, it's uh, quite lengthy. But um, one of the characters in this book, he's kind of a secondary character. It's, uh, the, the book is about the brothers and their father. And, uh, um, but one of the, the secondary characters in here is, um, is, is a man by the name of Father Zosima. And he's the, he's the saintly old monk who kind of forms the, the spiritual center of the whole novel. And when, when Zosima is on his deathbed, he's dying, he is, um, he's, he's reflecting on his childhood, uh, on his deathbed. And, and, and one of the more moving parts of, of his reflection is that he reveals in that that the, that the starting point of his spiritual journey were these words. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. <coughs> One who feared God and turned away from evil. Yes, wouldn't, that be, wouldn't that be wonderful? When I'm done... That, that some of you will be able to point to this place as the place where you found Christ and, and started your spiritual journey. <coughs> Guys, <clears throat> suffering. Living in this fallen world, suffering is inevitable. But misery is optional. And that which redeems all of our suffering is our suffering Savior, a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. It is He about whom this book is written. Is that Jesus your Savior? Our Father, I I do pray that you will aid me in my feeble attempts to point men and women to Jesus Christ through the book of Job. And I I pray that as a, a result of our spending these weeks over or in this book, that you will absolutely come alive to all of us that many of us might be able to point back and say, the place that I met Jesus Christ was when I wrestled around with the book of Job. And I found a Savior who, who redeems all of life, including my suffering. And so, Father, 
use what's done here to, <clears throat> to feed your people and to make us wise. But also, Father, would you use it to allow men and women to begin a spiritual journey that will end up in an eternity of felicity and bliss through having come to terms with Jesus Christ. We pray, of course, in his name. Amen.